0: You ready? I am ready. Cool. Hi, and welcome to the Wild and Look podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Caroline. And I'm Susan. Every Monday, we talk about true crime, conspiracies, paranormal phenomena, and everything weird or unexplained. saying true crime can like it sounds like I'm
1: saying true crime conspiracies I mean we do it like true crime conspiracies true crime conspiracies like that's three things yeah we do (laughs) a little bit everything a little bit everything okay um if it's interesting we will talk about it
0: yeah I really couldn't decide what to talk about this week so oh my god I feel like I'm talking weird because I'm super stoned just in my head. Just in my head.
1: It was just in your head. I wouldn't have known.
0: Um, I was like, I really want to do something about how weird the ocean is. Because I'm, I'm obsessed with the ocean and, like, everything we don't know about it. That, but I, I was going to say, that is a huge topic. Well, let me, Yeah, that's why I didn't do it. Because I got into it and I was like, okay, do I want to do things that have been found in the ocean that are creepy? Do I want to do, like, things that haven't been found, but are talked about, like, aliens in the ocean. So it was just too much. So
1: that's I'm a doing lot. murder. I definitely think that we should talk about the giant squid, though, at some point. Yeah. Just, well, because, that, just because it's one of those things that's like, well, how can people believe in what a fill in the blank? Yeah. Like, yeah, well, you know what? You guys said that about giant squids for years, decades even. And then it's like, oh, hey, Oops.
0: Yeah, I think that should be, like, part of, I don't know, I think we should, I have so many ideas, Susan, so I feel like I'm just, (laughs) I have a whole list of them, but I want to do, like, a cryptid
1: series. One week, just one week at a time. Just one week at a time.
0: Yeah. But, I mean, like, I have (laughs) these ideas laid out because I'm, like, one week at a time, but then I come up to next week and I'm like, oh, what do I want to talk about? But what about this week? (laughs) (laughs) Um, You're going first this week. Okay.
1: Yeah. Um, I'm also doing murder this week, which is good, since, you know, y'all, we're pretty excited because we broke into the top 200 for oh. the U.S. for true crime, so we figured we should probably throw y'all some true crime. I did not expect that. <laughs> it's okay. And can we talk about how we're actually in the top 100 in Italy. Italy. Hit us up. What are we doing right? What is happening? I've never even been to Italy. I love pasta, though. I love pasta, and I'm like a quarter Sicilian, but at the same time, I don't think that's what's doing it. Yeah, I don't know. If you're from Italy, let us know. We also have some
0: listeners from France. Really, we've been... Wild and Woke has been to a
1: lot of countries, that's exciting, and I love it, but like I said, I mean, you know, you guys you guys love our true crime, apparently, so we figured that we would hit you with a couple of murders, just to make sure that you're satisfied, because yes. we aim to please. Mine
0: um, is a little touchy. Oh. Yeah, so... I'm still going to do it because I think it's a very interesting case, but um, yeah, you're going first. So what are you talking about?
1: Mine hits very close to home. This is an unsolved murder from my hometown where I live. Um, that happened in 2002. I wasn't living here when it happened, um, but the Jennifer Servo is the victim and her case is still unsolved. She's also, she is she was born the same year I was born, and while I did not know her and I wasn't living here at the time, I definitely have some friends that knew her and knew some other people whose names will come up in this,
2: mm-hmm.
1: so it, this, this one definitely hits close to home. It was one of the first ones that I'm like, I definitely have to do this, but it like I have to make sure that I do it right <laughs> because I know people that will be listening to this that knew her. Or at least new people around her. So um, y'all FYI. I did a ton of research. Hopefully I'm not going to miss anything. But if there's something that I don't say. Or something that you know something about. Let us know. We want all the details. Okay. So Jennifer Servo. Was born in Columbia Falls, Montana. September 23rd of 1979. And not to sound like. Every Dateline special that's ever existed, which there is one about her, Um, but she was basically the all-American girl. She got good grades, played in the band, played multiple instruments, became a cheerleader, and dreamt of being Katie Couric when she grew up. While still in high school, she joined Army Reserves because she wanted to be sure that she had a way to pay for college she was only 17 at the time, so she had to have parent consent, but her reasoning was very convincing, including college costs, but also she was excited to have opportunities for life experiences that she would not otherwise get, which she did. Um, one, one, I don't know, I guess it's just called a mission for reserves. It's not called a deployment, but she was, she did travel to El Salvador Um, which was one that was one place that was mentioned in an interview with her mom that she really, you know, was felt like that, that trip kind of solidified for her, what the reserves was going to be as far as like having those opportunities. But one week shy of her 23rd birthday, Jennifer was found brutally murdered in the Abilene, Texas apartment. She'd only had for two months after she moved here for a job at a local news outlet. We're a pretty small market, so this was definitely not Jennifer's dream job, but she knew that the industry would require her to hit some stepping stones, and she was eager to make her mark here while she built her resume. Um, She had a short life, and the events that led up to her death were also on a proportionately really short timeline. So that's kind of what I'm going to mostly talk about is really everything that led up to her death. Not to say that her life was not important because yeah. obviously it was, um, but the unsolved part is what happened to her. So after graduating from the University of Montana in May of 2002, Jennifer started applying for any full-time reporter position she could find. She was willing to put in the work anywhere she could get her foot in the door and that turned out to be KRBC here in Abilene. Also during this post-graduation timeframe, she met uh, Ralph Sepulveda. He was 34 at the time, to her 22. He was a former Army Ranger and a reserve training instructor, and was her superior. Oh, by how many years? Uh, he was 34. She was 22. So he was 12 years older. Um, almost 13 years older. Hey. Well, is that true? Uh, I know that he was about 12 years older because she was gonna turn 23 fairly soon, and he was gonna turn 35 fairly soon. So okay, about well, 12 years older. Thank you. So. Um, <laughs> Look what I got. Like magic. <laughs> <laughs> um. Let's see, where was I? Sorry. Oh, her mother has recalled in interviews that when they met Ralph, they were surprised. He wasn't what they expected based on Jennifer's previous boyfriend. Not only because he was older, but also because he was pretty heavily tattooed. Um, kind of typical military looking guy. Yeah. A little rough around the edges, maybe. But Jennifer was crazy about him. So when he offered to move to Texas with her, she was pretty excited about it. In spite of her family being pretty nervous about it.
0: I'm sorry to interrupt again. And how long were they together? I, I might have missed yeah. that before
1: this all well, happened. They had only been dating about a month.
0: <gasps>
1: what? Yeah. Um, which I'm like, who does that? And then in the back of my head, it's like t- 22 year olds. But a grown man
0: like that. Should know better. That's why it's kind of weird. So.
1: Yes. Um, he. Not only. Agreed to. Mo- and I'm saying agreed to move with her. I'm not clear. Whose idea. It was in the first place. Yeah. Um, they were both excited about it. So I'm not sure it really matters. She was. Obviously, she was looking for jobs anywhere she could find one and disappointed that she might have to leave behind somebody she was really interested in and excited about. So she was excited. And I think, you know, having somebody there with you, Mm -hmm. especially like new relationship, all that excitement, going to a new place probably made it seem less scary to move thousands of miles away from everyone, you know. Um, but so we're going to come back to this a little bit, but he, uh, he quit his job and he sold his car in order to move with her. Uh,
0: uh, that's red flags.
1: Yeah. Big time. Um, so she arrives at KRBC. She jumps in with both feet. Her colleagues immediately are just taken by her, she has a great attitude. She has a great work ethic. She's fun. Uh, there was a, a group who were all pretty close in age, about, I think, five or six of them, who all became, some of them had already been there and were already friends. And she fit right in with that little crew. Like I said, all kind of at the same, r- right around the same age, kind of at the same place, you know, in their lives, and their careers, So she became fast friends with them, and they hung out together all the time. Mm -hmm. Among them uh, was Brian Travers, who was a handsome young meteorologist. Um, Of course, because aren't they all? I mean, yeah. (laughs) I think it's like a qualification. possible exceptions, which I'm saying is a joke for one of my best friends, because she was once married to a handsome young meteorologist (laughs) who turned out to be useless. Oh, man. So. You know, Brian Travers is not one of those. Apparently, he's a great guy, in addition to being handsome. Um, so, as often happens, especially in new relationships, changes of circumstances end up causing some friction. But that was kind of the least of their problems. Jennifer confided in a co-worker that one of the things that concerned her is that Ralph... Liked to play rougher in bed than she was comfortable with. Specifically, he liked to choke her. Which, look, if that's your thing, it's totally cool. If it is not your thing, that's not cool at all.
0: Yeah, there definitely needs to be, one, a conversation about it beforehand, and two, like, consent on both ends.
1: Consent, consent, consent. Yeah. Um... Like I said, she made mention of it to a coworker. She didn't seem to be afraid. It was just like, I don't, you know, it's a thing he does. I don't like it. Yeah. Um, however, somewhere around August 10th of 2002, Jennifer also discovered that Ralph had some secrets. He had been engaged and living with his fiance in Montana prior to their move. It's not totally clear when he broke off that relationship. Yeah. But from what I understand, it was definitely after he met Jennifer. Now, it may have been as soon as he met Jennifer, but she was not aware that this relationship had existed. hmm She also found out that he had a child in Montana with a different woman entirely who she had never heard of and who he rarely saw. So she she was' a, she was the not fucking around crew um she told him it was over and asked him to move out pretty much right away, which he did um now you would think in a new state with no car, no job, maybe it would have just been easier to go back to Montana, yeah, but he didn't. he managed to find a job buy a car and move into his own apartment. That was just a few minutes from where Jennifer lived. Yeah. She didn't seem bothered by this. They had, um, ultimately their split was amicable. They decided to stay friends. Um, she was, it wasn't so much like a, it wasn't a volatile situation from anything that I've seen. It was just, she was not interested in, she didn't like that. She was lied to. Mm -hmm. Um, There was at least one time that he tried to get Jennifer to take him back after he moved out, and she just told him no.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. In fact, she had decided she didn't want to be in a serious relationship at all. She wanted to put her energy into her career, and she was really excited about being in a new place and getting to travel in this area and, you know, just be in a a completely different place than she'd ever been and spend time kind of exploring and seeing different things um, and having different experiences. In fact, her friends talked about how, um, excuse me, how experiences were a big deal for her. Like she wanted to be in the middle of everything. She always wanted to like go and see different things, new things, um, any chance she got. So this is also what she told Brian Travers, that she was not interested in being in a relationship. They had a mutual attraction. Their friends kind of shipped them as a couple. But um, in his words, she told him she did not want to date, but wanted to be close friends. He would Mm -hmm. later say he was okay with that, that he really just enjoyed being around her because she was always fun and always upbeat. And whatever way she wanted that to be was okay. They took day trips together together including one to go to a Rangers game, another one to Roswell, New Mexico for the day. They spent time together with their friend group, but also one-on-one pretty regularly. Mm -hmm. So I'm gonna interject something here. That has caused some confusion in a lot of the things that I have read and listened to about this case. So, like I said, I know some people who know some people and I was able to confirm in a way that I'm pretty comfortable with, from an, somebody who I'm going to keep anonymous, but who knows the people involved, that they had kind of a friends with benefits arrangement. Okay, that's what I was kind of thinking. Which felt, I mean, the the close friends wording did it for me. But mm-hmm. I, like I, even if I hadn't had a chance to talk to anybody that would that knew any of these people. That was my feeling, but I was just like, okay, can I just confirm that this was the situation? Because it makes sense to me. Yeah. Um, And I'm mentioning this because it kind of explains, it helps explain the events the night that she was murdered. And I totally trust the source. So I really hope that nobody listening is upset by me saying that. There's no (laughs) negative connotation for it at Mm -hmm. all. Like, girl, no. Yes. Do your, yours. your thing. Like that is totally cool. But like I said, there's some confusion about like how, like wh- everything that happened, like her movements, the night she was killed, there's a little bit of like, well, how, why was this happening? And I think it, it kind of explains itself through that, uh, through the way their relationship was. So Jennifer's last Day Live was September 15th of 2002. She was at work. Um, it was her last day of work before she had three days off. Her regular schedule was ten hour, four 10-hour shifts a week. So she leaves work after the 10 o'clock news air, airs and runs some errands with Brian. They are seen on Walmart security cameras at 1046 p.m., So we know for sure that they were together and that they were grocery shopping. Her cat, Mr. Binks, needed some food, and Brian was picking up groceries.
2: Hmm.
1: Um, They arrived back at Brian's apartment. They also ran a couple of other errands. And I'm going to mention it because one of the things that they did is pick up a coffee table from someone they knew that Jennifer was going to have in her apartment. So the coffee table is now in her car. They get back to Brian's apartment. Sometime after that, um, it's not totally clear. But based on the time they were seen at Walmart, I think that they had already picked up the coffee table and run a couple of other errands before they went to Walmart. So they're at his apartment roughly 11 Mm o'clock, something like that. Um, During this little trip running errands, there's some confusing accounts of them possibly having been followed by an unknown vehicle in one version. It's Jennifer who mentions to Brian that she thinks she's seen the same car a few times and he kind of shrugs it off. Like, Oh, it's, you know, it's probably just similar or whatever. In another version, it's actually Brian who notices that he, that he thinks he might've seen the same car in more than one place that they were, including seeing it when they arrive at his apartment. And seeing it kind of slow down before it just takes off. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure which of those things is accurate Mm
2: -hmm.
1: or what combination. Who knows? Maybe they both saw it either way. um, It didn't really come up until later and it wasn't any, I mean, there was no, nobody threatened them. Like, you know, it, who knows? Maybe somebody really was following them. Maybe it was just, you know, a similar car. Um, My question is, did she know what kind of car Ralph got when he got a car here? Since he didn't have one when they got there.
2: And mm-hmm. I don't know.
1: So yeah. it's possible that, you know, he was following them. Yeah, possible. Yeah. Not, I mean, you know, that's a total like giant neon question mark. So, she helps Brian carry groceries upstairs and stays for, give or take an hour, before she wa- he walks her to her car and she heads home around midnight. This is where there was some confusion. Because <laughs> several things were like, well, if they weren't dating, did he really need that much help carrying groceries? Why did she stay? And I'm like, mm-hmm. between option, guys. <laughs> right. <laughs> they could... They could They don't have to be in a relationship. (laughs) So anyway, that's why I said I just felt like that needs to be put out there. Like, apparently that was kind of their Like, they had like a little arrangement. Which explains why they both went back to his apartment together instead of both going home after they finished running errands.
0: Right. And why would they run errands together to begin with? Like, if they were.
1: I mean, I don't know. That I don't. Don't you. Don't you like running errands with people? I do. No, I hate yes. it. Oh, my God. That's, like, my favorite thing. Ugh. I want to, like, do... My friend Brady and I are really good at running errands together. And oh. so we totally... We both missed this during this pandemic ordeal because it's, like, what do you mean we can't go drink two mimosas at brunch and then spend the day at Target? Why not? <laughs>
0: well, I mean, shit, yeah, I could do that. But, like, running errands, I want to, like, get it done just by myself.
1: I can see that, too. Yeah. But, anyway, they did. They hung out for a little bit. He did, um, apparently, when he initially told her he would walk her to her car, she was like, oh, no, I'm fine. Um, which indicates to me that even if they did see somebody following them, it wasn't something that stuck with her, and it wasn't something she was super concerned about, or she would have never been like, no, I'm good. Yeah. Um, uh, but regardless, he tells her, no, I want to make sure that you get to your car. So he walks her downstairs. He sees her get safely in her car. Um, we know that she arrived home safely right around midnight because she then spent about an hour on the phone with a friend of hers who was a former college boyfriend um, living in Montana. Mm-hmm. He said the conversation was... Normal. She seemed happy. She didn't. She she didn't mention to him anything about thinking that she might have been followed. Um, she didn't say anything that indicated to him that she was scared of anything or anyone. He said everything seemed completely fine with her. So they get off the phone around 1 a.m. Monday morning, September 16th. Later, one of Jennifer's neighbors would report having heard loud noises coming from the direction of her apartment around 3 a.m. Wasn't anything that was enough for the neighbor to really be concerned, and certainly not enough to make them call police. But sometime during those early morning hours is when Jennifer is murdered in her apartment. She is bludgeoned as well as strangled. Her body will not be found until the afternoon of September 18th. Mm. There's some evidence that points to her having been sexually assaulted. Um, As far as I can tell, that evidence is external bruising. But she was found fully clothed, wearing what would normally be her, like, pajamas, shorts, and a t-shirt. There was no sign of forced entry. So, um, someone could have had a key. Mm -hmm. Or she could have let in someone she knew. Her... Family and friends say she's very security conscious, so they don't believe she would have forgotten to lock her door.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, She was, in fact, maybe a little overly security conscious. She immediately got a P.O. box when she moved because she didn't want her mail coming to her actual apartment address. Huh. Why? I think that's a little odd. However... Kind of during the same time period, um, there were some stalking cases involving on air news personnel female on air news personalities. Oh, yeah, so that may have been kind of in the back of her mind when she decided to get the p o box that said i'm I'm not sure I would say I'm like super security conscious, but I routinely lock my door. like when I'm home, like I like I close the door, I lock the door. It's just automatic. However, I have definitely woken up and realized I left my front door unlocked all night. Oh, my God. Like, that has definitely happened at least a couple times. Yeah. So while that's habit, it also, like, it is entirely possible for somebody who even routinely does something Mm -hmm. to just simply forget to do it.
0: Very true. I've done that, too.
1: So the fact that there's no forced entry is. I mean, there's just no way to know what happened. Um, what I don't know that I would like to know is if her door was locked when she was found. And I don't know the answer to that.
0: Oh yeah.
1: Um all, on the Well, other how point,
0: many days? I'm sorry. How sorry. many days was it?
1: She was had been dead for about 48 hours by the time oh, she okay. was found. And who found um, her? So her her mom is already getting a little concerned because she's mis- she has not answered a couple phone calls. And normally, she would if she missed a call, she would call right back. But her friends also start getting a little worried. She and Brian had some kind of maybe plans to go see a movie on Monday. But when she didn't answer his call um, or return his message, he kind of just thought, well, maybe she's tired or she had something else to do. Um, apparently he did also say to another friend that, you know, he thought maybe she was avoiding him. Um, and she had told other people that she thought maybe he liked her. He was like more interested in being in a relationship with her than she was with him, but she didn't want to hurt his feelings. So I can see how maybe, you know, the fact that she didn't answer his call. Like I've, I've seen a couple of things that were like, why would he automatically think she's avoiding him? Eh. Insecurity, man. Like called anxiety. Right, like, it's a girl he likes He's made it clear she doesn't want to date him, but he still wants to hang out with her. Like, of course that's what he thinks when she doesn't answer the phone. Uh,
0: My husband and I have been together for 11 years, and sometimes I'll still look over at him and be like, you like me, right? (laughs) Like,
2: do you like me? Do you like me like
0: me? Or am I like your
1: bro? (laughs) (laughs) So but they get concerned. He, he's already a little concerned, but not overly concerned. It's her, she's on her days off. However, they're also, there's a situation at, <clears throat> at the news station that somebody is sick and can't come in and they try to call Jennifer to cover, which normally she's super responsive and like always ready to jump in and come to work if she needs to. So it's a little strange that she doesn't answer when they try to reach her. So Brian, along with another one of their friends, decide that day on the 18th, they're going to go to the apartment. Mm -hmm. When they get to her apartment, her car is, they see her car, and the coffee table is still in her car. Okay. Which Brian immediately is like, concerned by the fact that that's still in her car um they go they knock on the door they note that her blinds are completely closed which is unusual because as I mentioned she has a cat and those of us with cats know that if you close the blinds all the way Mm -hmm. the cat will simply break the blinds (laughs) so just law of cat <laughs> law of cats you cannot close your blinds all the way your blinds must always be slightly open or the cats will just break them so they thought that was they thought that was unusual <laughs> um but they she doesn't answer the door and again remember all of these people are in their early 20s <laughs> yeah cuz i'm like what do you mean you just left
0: um I, also that's before true crime was like popular
1: it is. And, um, I mean, Abilene's still a relatively small town, but like, I feel like in 2002, it felt like an even smaller town, mm-hmm. even though I don't know that the population's like drastically different, but they're definitely, it feels like a bigger place now than it felt like 18 years ago. Yeah. Um, they, so they do leave when she doesn't answer the door. Um, the friend drops Brian back off at his house and she goes back to the news station. All of these places, like Jennifer's apartment, is only like five minutes from the news station. I'm not clear where Brian's apartment was, um, but I get the impression fairly close by. So, all these places are like in a really tight little bubble,
2: yeah.
1: Um, but the so her friend goes back to the news station and reports to the boss, Hey, yeah, we went by her apartment and she didn't answer the door, we haven't been able to get a hold of her, and the boss at KRBC, who is not 22 is immediately like, Oh no, this is a problem. Yeah. So they call the apartment complex and tell the manager, Hey, we are concerned. Can you go check on her? So the apartment manager, along with a maintenance person, which is typical, like that would be the normal. If you're doing a well check, you wouldn't ever, an apartment manager would never go alone and they would never send maintenance alone. When there's a concern about something, you always have two people. Mm-hmm. So they, they go, they immediately discover a brutal crime scene, and that's when police are called. And her friends find out because the scanner in the news office reports a dead on arrival at her address. Oh, shit. So, um, and it's pretty traumatic. I mean, obviously. Obviously. Yeah. But for somebody who'd only been here, she had been in Abilene exactly 61 days. And she had already made such an impression on the people around her that it was a I mean, they canceled one of their news broadcasts that night mm-hmm. and did a tribute to her. Wow. Still not even really knowing what happened at that at that point in time.
2: Yeah.
1: They knew some details, but they didn't know exactly. They, they didn't even know exactly when she had died. It wasn't until later that the um, medical examiner was able to say that she had been dead for 48 hours before she was found. So, what's in the apartment? Obviously, Jennifer. Um, like I said, she was blud- she was both bludgeoned and strangled.
0: Oh, my God. Did they kill her cat? I don't know. I'm just going gonna, gonna to say no.
1: The cat hid I under the bed. I have not heard anything about the cat. So, as far as I know, kitty's okay. Also, yeah, cat, law again, law of cats, like, they probably, whoever was there probably never saw the cat. No. no. The cat was like, uh, no. You can fuck right off. I will be under a piece of furniture invisible. Yeah. Um, so... Immediately, of course, you know this becomes a huge deal. There are not a lot of murders in Abilene. I mean it's not like it's not Mayberry, but like yeah. there just is not it's not a that's a murder without any idea of what happened is pretty unusual. I think, as of today, right now, um there are exactly ten unsolved murders in the history of this town, Wow. Which is not a whole lot. Um, more than I expected, but still not a whole lot. Um, they did. They it was 2002, but they did. I mean, they they were they did collect DNA evidence. Keep
0: going.
1: But um, nothing that was helpful, unfortunately. They uh, Ralph's DNA is present in the apartment, as is Brian's, but. Both of them had been in her apartment. Yeah. So there How was How long else. had
0: it been since Ralph had been in her apartment? Well, this is September.
1: So somewhere around three weeks to a month. So not that long. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, you would definitely still expect to find his DNA there. Yeah. Um, as well as Brian's who had been there more recently so there's really nothing unusual about about either of those and apparently there was no i've seen i've seen it written two different ways i've seen it written that it was only their dna in addition to hers that was in the apartment but then i've also seen it written that theirs was the only ones that were i guess interesting Mm -hmm. i don't even know if that's the right word but regardless they don't find any dna that really points them in a direction of something concrete yeah. um, because both of them belong there. Certainly there was no, there was no unidentified DNA. So the likelihood of it, of there having been someone, a stranger in her apartment, not great. My guess would be that probably there would have been some trace DNA from, um, maybe from maintenance, mm-hmm. maybe the apartment manager depending on how long they were in the apartment though it's a small apartment so my guess is they were not there long because
0: from the previous tenant because I mean a lot of places don't clean
1: between so most places do clean I mean I mean they
0: had that they they hire a cleaner but like when we got into our apartment our current apartment and these are nice ass apartments there was like rat poop in the corner, um, like blood on the wall. It was horrifying. There was blood on the wall of your apartment. We we need a timeout. in our (laughs) bathroom and like, okay, so it's a gated community. And I mean, uh, we have all the amenities like pool, workout room, dog wash place, whatever. And so we lived in a two bedroom that was nice. It was a corporate apartment. It was in the same apartment complex, but we decided to move to a one bedroom. We walk in and it's all hardwood floors, but on the floor, there's like, it's almost like they had a pet rat and it I mean, smelled, it smelled like animals. You know, that smell, like not yeah. cats and dogs, but like animals. Yeah. Um, and then in the bathroom... On the closet door to the linen closet, there was, like, blood, and there was, like, an old, unopened bottle or, like, half-open bottle of Neosporin. It was, like... That's
1: um, okay. I just have to say, that's super weird. And I've lived in a couple of kind of sketchy apartments, and not ever, not once did I move into an apartment that was not clean. Yeah, it was horrible. And we took pictures of everything. Um, That's crazy. So I've seen that brought up like, well, what about previous tenants? Um, Typically. Okay. So for one thing, keep in mind, we're military town Mm -hmm. and her apartment was kind of on the base side of town, like actually just like down the street from the base. So they see a lot of turn. So my guess is that they are probably really like, Mm -hmm. like their make ready team is probably like super on point. Yeah. So. That's. I'm going to guess that that's why there was no DNA or maybe there was, and it's just, they were able to identify where that came from and there was nothing else about it that would spark any kind of investigation. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I'm not real clear. Um, I, I'm not clear on if they're saying that it was only the two of them plus her DNA, or if that was the only one that they were like interested in. Yeah. So um, she does not have any defensive wounds on her hands, anywhere. She has one broken nail, Um, but she doesn't have, she was strangled, but she doesn't have any marks on her neck, like from her trying to
2: mm-hmm.
1: rip somebody's hands off of her, which I think probably indicates that she was already knocked unconscious by the time she was strangled. Yeah. Um So that's kind of a again kind of one of those giant question neon question marks like how I mean obviously somebody she somebody got into the either got into the apartment without her knowing it or she let them in. Right. and was comfortable with them there and was completely caught off guard. But either way she was obviously completely caught off guard. So, um, oh, like I mean, and I said I think I said that there, the reports indicate that there was evidence of sexual assault, yet she was found fully clothed. So you said there was just bruising around her privates. External bruising is my understanding. Um, the autopsy report indicates that there was no internal injury. It just makes me wonder if she was
0: hit down there.
1: It also, okay, so I don't know if there's something else that makes them say that it was likely a sexual assault. Yeah. Because my question is, well, maybe she wasn't sexually assaulted. Like, maybe that had nothing to do with it.
2: Mm.
1: But because they say that there was, that there was a likely sexual assault and it's an ongoing investigation, either they're making an assumption or there's more evidence that they're not releasing. Either one of those things could absolutely be true.
0: So my first Um, thought is it's Ralph. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's because what I see is him finding out she's seen somebody else Mm -hmm. stalking her. Mm-hmm. Finding a moment of weakness, like, or like when she lets him in and he just straight up attacks her and like, that's just what I see. Like, there's, it seems like that's the most obvious, I don't know. It's the strangulation for me. Yeah, it's very personal. And the
1: fact that <coughs> it appears that that was probably done, um, if not after she was dead, likely after she was unconscious just because yeah i guess it's possible to pin someone's hands down so they can't try to to get you off of them but her having no indication of defensive wounds um other than one broken fingernail which probably was like he came in to hit her over the head and she like I mean, you know, and part of, part of me is like, I mean, that could have been part of the assault and it could have just been completely unrelated.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I mean, it's one, it's a single broken nail. She could have just hit it on some, like it might even not be related to her being assaulted. Yeah. There's no way to know. Um, one thing that I tried to find, I would assume because they interviewed both of these men, um, If there had been any indication that either one of them was scratched, bitten, whatever, that would have come out. But there's nothing that talks about them having any kind of, either one of them having any kind of scratches on them. um, Nothing like that. However, they also did not find um, any DNA under her fingernails. So again, I mean, it sounds to me like she got caught completely off guard and never even had a chance to defend herself. Like maybe when she answered the door? When she answered the door or maybe she let someone in and then they she was I mean, you know, as yeah. soon as she turned around to walk back in. Yeah. Um but like I say, there's no you know, without there being anything on her that would indicate that she was able to fight you know, even the fact that they didn't find any scratches on Ralph or on Brian. Um, you know, mm-hmm. again, question mark Um, to be a hundred percent clear. I, there's not even an, an ounce of me that thinks Brian had anything to do with any of this. Yeah. No. Um, just because there are a lot of ways that a guilty person could have chosen to lie and nobody else would necessarily have ever known that he was lying.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, he didn't have to say what time she left his apartment. Yeah. He didn't. I mean, there's a lot of ways that like, if he was guilty of anything, like <laughs> he could have tried to cover something up and he didn't. He was 100% cooperative. Um, both men did get lawyers, which I've seen a couple of things that indicate like, oh, that's kind of suspicious. But no, hell no. Say, oh, I, I, hell no. Oh, hell no. No, that's 100% the right thing to do. Get a lawyer, like <laughs> always. 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 <laughs> um, on September 20th, so this is two days after her body's found, the police actually take Brian as lo- along with his his attorney to her apartment um, to ask him some questions, but also to just have him look and tell them if there's anything else that stands out to him about her apartment. So missing from her apartment, they know that her cell phone's missing, her purse is missing. Um, I'm not 100% clear if it's Brian who's able to tell them that there are some random DVDs missing but that is one of the things that was missing from her apartment and possibly at least one other unknown item. Brian was able to tell police that there was something missing, but he was asked by law enforcement not to divulge what the item, the missing item was. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure if that's the DVDs that come up later Or if there's something else um, that he was able to say, hey, this is missing. Yeah. I kind of tend to think that there's something else just because the DVDs, like, you couldn't... Even if you found them, like, there would be no way ever to be sure that they were the ones missing from her apartment. So I'm not sure why that would be an important thing to tell him to not divulge to anyone else. But if it's something more unique... That would make some sense. Um, So this has been an ongoing investigation for, like I said, roughly 18 years. We still do not know anything more about what happened to her um, than they knew pretty much within the first day. Um, No, no tips, nothing in 2016 um police said that they were working some new leads but they never released any specific information and no arrests have ever been made um they do say that ralph is still a suspect um he's the only person that the police have ever formally listed as a suspect. Mm-hmm. But again, apparently no no actual evidence there. Mom, that's devastating. Against him. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know what's even scarier to me is, you know, there have been some cases that are similar to this, that the family members are sure that it's somebody, you know, a boyfriend, a husband, whatever. And it turns out that the person was killed by a serial killer. Yeah. So, anyway, that's... I don't... I'm, I, I hate ending topics on, like... So, anyway, she's dead and we don't know why. Yeah, but, I mean, but that's, that's how it is. Yeah. Um, It is still considered an open case. Um, if anybody listening to this has anything... Any tiny little detail that you might think maybe doesn't matter at all. um, It might matter. Yeah. Call the tip line. Call the police here in Abilene. Um, I'll see if I can find a link to our Crime Stoppers so that we can post it. Um, Any little thing that you might remember might help. Who knows? Um, I mean, I'm with you as long as we're speculating. Um, I feel like the ex-boyfriend, I mean, first of all, first of all, it's always the ex-boyfriend.
0: <laughs> yeah. The, so what makes me think ex-boyfriend is the age difference, which to me, cause she was in how old was she again? 22. She
1: I would mean, have been 23, like a, a week after her death.
0: That's a baby. And he was 34. And to me, that's just like predator type vibes. <sighs> a little bit like I so rich is 34 and we've had this conversation before yeah could he see himself dating someone in their early 20s and he was like no because we're not on the same wavelength about anything Uh, see
1: I, I don't know I mean that doesn't that in and of itself the age difference in and of itself doesn't really that's not the red flag for me the red flags for me are the casually controlling behavior. Yeah, that's... The, like, willing to, like, sell the car, quit the job, whatever, to move with her. That's not so much, like... I feel like when you're 22, that probably feels really romantic. But it seemed like she was very focused on
0: her career and very focused on her life. And I don't think she would think that was romantic. I, it seems like she did.
1: Yeah. It seems like she did think it was romantic. Um. But then the reality of it, you know what I mean? Like, she was level-headed enough that the reality of the situation, um, ended up being more important than the, oh how romantic! You know, I really like this guy and he's willing to move with me. Mm-hmm. But just the fact that like. I know that that kind of seems like a romantic gesture, like, oh, we like each other so much, we'll just we'll just make it work. But what I see in that is too much. Like, I don't want to let you out of my sight. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they immediately, like, as soon as she had, you know, friends here and new people and was doing stuff with her friends, that then they started having problems again. That right away is a, you know, that's a control thing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that on top of the fact that, you know, um, he didn't move away. That's my biggest like, eh, eh, (laughs) yeah, because it would have been very easy. Like he just uprooted everything. Like what difference does it make? He could have gone. And let's just be real clear. For all of the things about Abilene that may be good points. by no stretch of the imagination, is this any type of destination? <laughs> like, yeah. You, like you're, you're a single 35 year old dude. Um, you can go like, you could literally like everything you already uprooted your life in Montana. The girlfriend in Texas asked you to move out. Like, bro, this is the moment to move to Hawaii. <laughs> like you can go anywhere. The fact that his choice was get a job, buy a car, get an apartment, stay in Abilene, Texas, when the only reason he was here was her, that says to me that there were a lot more control issues than maybe what looked like on the surface. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, not that there's not, I mean, look, there's no evidence against this dude. Obviously, he has never been charged, so... But just, you know, from a, from a let's speculate standpoint, he jumps out as the pretty obvious suspect. And for the record, her, her family is very much, um, in the Ralph did it camp. Yeah. They expected, um, her dad mentioned that he really thought like they would have, like, like they would have someone arrested like any time and then, you know, just. It was, you know, nothing, nothing, nothing. Yeah. So, and like I said, there are several. Um, there's a Dateline episode. There are some other things. So, if anybody's, if y'all are interested in this case, there are some other, other things out there for sure about her. So, yeah. Anyway, um, that's Jennifer. She definitely has not been forgotten in this town, even though she was only here for two months. Yeah. Um, they do have her case open. She is on. She is still listed on the um police department website. Um, asking for tips so hopefully maybe someday someone yep. will come forward with some information you know who knows put that one on the list of cases to keep up with yeah absolutely oh trust if trust if something happens in that case I will definitely hear about. It.
0: oh yeah <laughs> firsthand <laughs> mm-hmm. firsthand
1: firsthand for sure. So, what murder are you talking Well, first of all, do we have anything else we need to talk about? Has anything happened this week that we talked about? We talked about uh, Top 200, which was fun. That was
0: it. That was, like, <laughs> I'm finally caught up on podcast stuff. I feel like Yay. for the past two weeks, I've just been, like, covered in podcast stuff. So, I finally got caught up, and I can relax. Um Yay. With- Nothing else really. I got a new comforter. <laughs> it's the little things. It is. Look,
1: it is absolutely the little things.
0: <laughs> um. So I'm actually. So what I'm talking about is murder, but it's um a shooting,
1: and I yeah, want to talk looked, about it. I looked it up after you sent it to me and was like, I can't, like very vaguely remember this, but not like I just I don't. remember seeing it as a headline. Um. But I was also 19. I mean, like you were four. So I'm not. <laughs> no.
0: 2010, I was 19. <laughs> um, I saw this because I do live in Alabama now. And this is where it took place. And I was like, well, that's odd. And then I started reading and I was like, well, that's odd. And then I started reading more and I was like, well, that's fucking weird.
1: <laughs> so well, tell us all about it.
0: So on February 12, 2010, faculty members gathered for a biology department meeting at the University of Alabama in Huntsville, which is not the main campus. Right. The meeting consisted of 12 faculty members and they were all part of the biology department. So the meeting lasted 30 minutes. And then Amy Bishop stood up and began shooting her colleagues with her Ruger, <laughs> Ruger P95 handgun. A witness who survived the shooting later recalled that Bishop got up suddenly, took out a gun, and started shooting at each one of us. She started with the one closest to her and went down the row, shooting her targets in the head. Another witness says the shooting was not by any means random. It was execution-style around a large oval table. After several rounds were fired on Amy's last shot, which is aimed at another Colleague of hers, another professor, the gun clicked like it was empty or jammed. So, another colleague in the room rushed Amy to stop her. There were three victims that were wounded and another three that died. Wow. So, because this shooting was so quick, I mean, it started suddenly and ended just as suddenly, there's really not much more information on the actual shooting. I do want to talk about Amy. And what she did at the college and kind of her background a little bit, because it is fucking wild.
1: <laughs> this is the part I don't, I, like I said, I remember this as a headline, but I don't remember. I don't know any of these details. So I am so excited to hear about it.
0: And I don't want to glorify like a shooter, but um, I feel like her background needs to be talked about a little bit because she's not a 20 something white guy with mental health issues. She's a grown woman who has a family and, a a great career it seemed
1: like so anyway well yeah and it's important I mean it is kind of important to talk about the fact that just because just because somebody is successful like Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that they like it's not always the same person yeah these things can happen anywhere
0: so Amy Bishop was 44 at the time of the shooting She was married to her husband, James Anderson, and she was the mother to four children. She has a really detailed history around education and science. So her father was a professor um, in the art department at Northeastern University in Boston. That's where Amy completed her undergraduate. She then went on to Harvard University and she completed her Ph.D. in genetics in 1993. Amy... Was also the second cousin to a famous novelist. His name is Jane. (laughs) Jane. Jesus Christ. John (laughs) Irving. Have you ever heard of him? Not right off the top of my head, but. He's pretty. I mean, he's famous in the United States, but I think he's um, Canadian.
1: What did he write?
0: You know what? I knew you were going to ask me that and I should have (laughs) looked it up. So let me look it up right now. John Irving. Oh, it says he's an American novelist. Um, it looks like oh, the Hotel New Hampshire. They're all like 70s, 80s, and 90s is mm-hmm. when he wrote his
1: books. No, it doesn't. His name doesn't sound familiar. I don't recognize those titles, but mm-hmm.
0: um, yeah, it looks like he's pretty, pretty famous. Anyway, so she was second cousins to John Irving. And she herself was a member of the Hamilton's writing group group, when she lived in Massachusetts in the 1990s. Amy did go on to write three unpublished novels. Many members of the writing group she was in did say that Amy used her Harvard degree and her family ties to John Irving to boost her chances of picking up a publisher and getting recognized. This led many people to think of her as entitled and abrasive. So fast forward to 2003, 10 years after she gets her PhD, Amy joins the University of Alabama Huntsville staff as an assistant professor in the biology department. The president of the university thought that Amy's portable cell incubator that she created with her husband would change the way medical research was conducted. So he was like overjoyed to have her on the staff. Amy created that incubator with her husband while she was an instructor at Harvard Medical School. The incubator actually came in third in a huge technology competition. And the bishops, well, Amy Bishop and James Anderson, her husband, won $25,000 from that.
1: I have a quick question. Yeah. How did we make the move from Harvard Medical School to Alabama Huntsville?
0: Well, I'm going to get to that. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to get to that. I'm like, Uh, mm, it's a big, it's a a big jump. (laughs) Yeah, it's a big jump. Although I don't know much about the University of Alabama Huntsville and like their biology department. I don't know if they have any like achievements or anything like that. I
1: mean, here's the thing. Nobody's exactly Harvard. So like, I mean, there are a few places from Harvard that could be a lateral move, but like pretty much any university, once you've been at Harvard is like. Mm -hmm. why (laughs) yeah
0: Uh, we'll find out (laughs) yeah okay Um, (laughs) so there were a lot of doubters along the way in Amy's um, career they doubted her um, where was I so they claimed that Amy's original 1993 dissertation uh, to get her PhD wasn't deserving of a doctoral doctoral degree Mm mm-hmm um, it was poor quality, and it wasn't deserving of the degree. Other scientists in her field second-guessed the incubator she created, saying it was too expensive and it was completely unnecessary. Six years after starting her career at University of Alabama-Huntsville, Amy was denied tenure. So That was kind of a big deal. It is a big deal, especially for someone that um, – Qualified, I guess, and you know who's who's put in hours and hours and hours of research. I mean, she created this whole medical. Do we you know, know? Do we know why
1: she was denied tenure?
0: Yeah. Well, okay. not a specific reason, but I'm gonna kind of get into that. So okay. she was denied the tenure in March of 2009. So she had been at the University of Alabama for six years. I just want to say what tenure is, because I mean, I knew what it was, but I didn't know how to explain it. So according to cron.com, C-H-R-O-N.com, when a professor is granted tenure at an academic institution, she's receiving a specific set of administrative and legal rights that includes the freedom to pursue any academic research without fear of repercussions. Tenured faculty positions are in some sense seen as jobs
1: for life. So, and
0: it usually happens like very five, much
1: seen as jobs for life.
0: Yeah. It usually happens like f- five to seven years after you've started working there. Um, and really it's K through 12 and then college and universities in the United States, I believe.
1: I know I've in other countries far. it's different. I've never heard of anybody being tenured anywhere other than a university. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm I didn't not really look saying into that, that doesn't happen, but that's very typically a university thing. And it's, um almost exclusively reserved for people who do have doctoral degrees. Yeah. You pretty much cannot be tenured. I'm going to go out on a limb and say you're not going to be tenured at any university with anything less than a doctoral degree as well as having kept up with um most universities require a certain number of um published studies depending on what your discipline is um, being published in um academic journals or peer-reviewed things, um, yeah, that's depending on, depending on what your discipline is. Like for English professors that, you know, on tenure tracks, they need to publish, um, either books or, um, the type of peer-reviewed articles that you read in English classes
2: Mm -hmm.
1: in order to build up the clout, I guess, Mm -hmm. that you need in order for a university to grant tenure. So there is, is kind of a, I mean, it's not just, it's not something that necessarily just happens. And there are definitely professors who were denied tenure who should get it. That's why I was like, well, wait, was she denied tenure? Like, because she didn't qualify, like she shouldn't get it? Or was she denied tenure for some other reason?
0: I think it was a few reasons combined. But um, the school did come back and say that she, a part of the reason she was denied is because they had, told her she's not doing enough peer reviewed research
2: mm-hmm.
0: and um, she kind of came back and like tried to fight that. But that was one of the reasons they gave. Yeah. So obviously Amy did not agree with the decision. She hired a lawyer. The lawyer admitted that along the way there were flaws in the whole like tenure process. Amy also found out that a colleague of hers who was actually on the review committee called her crazy This is a a male colleague. She immediately filed a complaint with the EEOC, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, under the idea that she was being discriminated against because she was a female, which is possible.
2: The professor.
0: Yeah. The professor. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I think that most of her colleagues were men. Um, That's pretty, I
1: mean, that's fairly typical.
0: Yeah. So the professor who made the statement was actually given the chance to take it back and he stuck to his guns. He said this is I'm this is what I'm saying. I, this is a quote. He's
1: like no nah, because she's crazy. <laughs> yeah.
0: He said, um I said she was crazy multiple times and I stand by that. This woman has a pattern of erratic behavior. She did things that weren't normal and she was out of touch with reality. Damn. So yeah, he was not I mean Obviously, you gotta respect had, that. <laughs> you do. Yeah, he was not backing down. So in 2009, um, kind of around the time she was denied tenure, there was a petition made by students of the university against Amy. So they claimed that she was a poor right. instructor. What?
1: She's just like her colleagues think she's crazy. The students are petitioning against like, mm, it's rough. Those are rough going. <laughs> So
0: the students claimed that she was a poor instructor. She did not care for her students or their success in the classroom. She was abrasive. They stated she was ineffective in the classroom and had odd, unsettling ways. That's a quote. I don't really, they didn't really go in depth on that. Dozens of students signed the petition. And they along with that petition, sent in to the university president. There were three separate complaints about Amy. But no action was taken. Oh, excuse me. By the university to change the situation at all. So that's like the third time in Amy's career she's been considered abrasive. So it's just kind of like a pattern. Okay, so this was in 2009. I want to go back to 1986. So like, back in the time machine.
2: (laughs) (laughs) My brain was already doing
0: (laughs) it. So. In 1986, in the winter, December 6th specifically, Amy was 21. She shot and killed her 18 year old brother. Yeah. What? Right. <laughs> it, that's not talked about until like the trial for the
1: brand new information.
0: Yeah. So I'm going to kind of go over that a little bit because it's crazy. Amy used a 12-gauge pump-action shotgun. She shot a hole in her bedroom wall. Then she went into the kitchen, shot her brother in the chest while they were standing there with their mother. So their mother saw this happen. Amy then went out into the street and tried to shoot a vehicle driving by and narrowly missed them. The whole incident was described by police and Amy's mother as an accident and no charges were filed. The,
1: but <laughs> there were rumors. I, okay. I'm sorry, she accidentally shot and killed one person and attempted to shoot other people by accident.
0: Yeah, so I mean that is sketchy. Like that doesn't make sense. So I. I found out after doing some digging there were rumors then and there still are rumors now that the police chief in charge at the time was actually friends with the family and there were some like politics involved like so what, the it, just yeah police politics there would have
1: to be because just
0: <laughs> yeah um So, no charges were filed. There are several key details about the day um, that I think are important. So, Amy was actually arguing with her brother and her father before the shooting. In 2010, the killing was brought up again during her trial for the University of Alabama shooting. The district attorney concluded that, in fact, there was probable cause to arrest Amy for the murder in 1986. (laughs) But the statute of limitations had expired by that point, so they couldn't do anything. Wait, in what world is there a statute on murder? I guess in wherever they are, Massachusetts, I guess. I don't know. I have no idea. Um, But actually, so we found out all that stuff. And then we found out that not only did Amy shoot and kill her brother, she fled the scene with the gun Went to, buy, went to a nearby car dealership, showed the employees the weapon trying to get them to give her a car to escape, basically.
1: And okay, all this... no statute on murder in the state of Massachusetts.
0: In 2010? I don't know.
1: That's just what I read. I have no idea. This is going to bug me. <laughs>
0: Well, they couldn't do anything
1: about it. Um, now, they might just not have had jurisdiction. I mean, maybe that's it. Because she's in Alabama. in Alabama. The trial happening in Alabama. there's no, I mean, they they can say that there was probable cause, but if the place with jurisdiction isn't going to deal with it, then, I mean, Alabama can't really file mm-hmm. charges on her. I don't, I mean, I don't yeah. think there's any way to do that if the place where it happened isn't interested I don't that's insane. Okay, carry on. <laughs> yeah. Um Okay,
0: so yeah, that happened with her brother. It was brought back up in the trial for the University of Alabama shooting. They um couldn't they decided I don't I'm pretty sure it was the st- I read statute of limitations. Okay, I'm just going to leave it there. Then we go back to 1993. Amy and her husband were suspects in a 1993 pipe bomb incident.
1: Yeah. So Amy I mean, worked. Here's the thing. When you blatantly shoot somebody with a shotgun and get away with it, you pretty well feel like you can do whatever the fuck you want all the
0: time. Exactly. Exactly. Um, okay. So Amy worked at the Harvard Medical School Children's Hospital Neurobiology Lab. It's like a mouthful. She worked for her, her supervisor. His name is Paul Rosenberg. And according to many, many sources, Amy and her supervisor were at odds with Amy's behavior leading up to a negative evaluation. Amy or her behavior after a negative evaluation. Amy resigned from the position and Rosenberg, her supervisor, remembers her being visibly upset, basically on the verge of a mental breakdown her husband according to a tip line call in threatened to shoot stab or strangle rosenberg although he claims he never said these things authorities quickly focused on the couple they immediately refused co- to cooperate they wouldn't let them in they wouldn't take a polygraph test they just did they were not like they just refused to be involved in the um my brain investigation investigation thank you uh which is a huge red flag i think um but there was and there was a lack of evidence so they were not charged but they were the top suspects at one point then in 2002 there was a incident it was a small one at the a waffle house so amy punched a woman in the face over a booster seat
1: to be fair, anything that is not murder at a Waffle House is just a small incident. Right. <laughs> if nobody dies, like that's just a normal Saturday night. <laughs> so yeah, but it was over a fucking
0: booster seat. So Amy was charged and she pled guilty to misdemeanor assault, um, plus disorderly conduct, and she received probation. Like you know, the just first
1: time white people she was things. charged with a crime was for punching somebody in a Waffle House. <laughs> right. <laughs> Right. Her like, parents, yeah. For one thing, Waffle House, like, yes, anything up to murder is just a normal night. But on the other hand, like, Waffle House is not playing either. <laughs> like, no, you may be able to shoot people, you may be able to plant pipe bombs, but you are not going to punch people in the Waffle House.
0: <laughs> so yeah, all of this is kind of leading up to her breaking point at University of Alabama. So she she does the shooting in Alabama. And she was charged with capital murder and three counts of attempted murder. Her attorney did try to claim that Amy was suffering from an undiagnosed mental illness, specifically paranoid schizophrenia, which he later took back. He decided he shouldn't have said that. Um, It was just like a weird little thing that I read. But he did take it back. Amy pled guilty to all charges on September 11th, 2012. And on September 24th, she was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. She is still in prison at a woman's institute in Alabama and she's put on like medium lockdown and she's actually not confined to a cell. She's allowed to live dormitory style. Um, okay. She did try and appeal her case. I think it was pretty soon after... Just a few years after she was sentenced, and they denied it.
1: Um, Pretty so yeah, she,
0: yeah, she's still in there. But I just, I wanted to talk about that because it's not, one, it's not a typical school shooter profile. Right. And her background, you know, it starts off, she's, she's intelligent. I mean, you have to be to get a PhD in genetics and just to understand that shit, period.
1: I mean... I don't know about I don't know about paranoid schizophrenia, but honestly, it does sound like she had some kind of undiagnosed mental yeah. disorder. Like yeah. I mean, I'm I am the last person to be like, if you do something that if you do something like a mass shooting, you must be like clinically crazy. Sometimes people do shit like that because they fucking want to. Mm-hmm. Like that is not the whole like attitude that people have, like, well, there must have been something wrong with them because people that don't have something wrong with them don't do stuff like that. Okay. Kind of. But on the other hand, there are lots of people who live every day of their lives with fully diagnosed mental issues, illnesses, disorders, whatever, who never commit any violence against other people. Right. So the idea that you have to be crazy to do something like that, I don't buy... On the other hand, like, in her case, there's just... I mean, it really does sound like she had, like, something going on that would cause you to... Yeah. If nothing else, like... I mean, I don't know. I don't know what... um,
0: I, I, I looked it up, and I really think that she's a sociopath. You know, she doesn't have... She obviously doesn't have yeah. a conscience because she killed her
1: brother. She... <laughs> like she's that that one to me like there's so much I just feel like there's so much information there like the fact that she was never charged mm-hmm. it's like it's almost like that moment right there just like that That was like the doom for the rest of her life yeah. whereas if they had dealt with it and maybe gotten her some help because regardless of anything else like that just screams of like true impulse control problems yeah like not just like oh yeah I'm impulsive but like genuinely not being able to control yourself from doing something that's otherwise totally off the rails
0: yeah she was um I think what happened was well I'm not this is Not talking about any undiagnosed mental illnesses, but I think that she was kind of being put into this, like, shell at her job. I mean, like, it was, she was working with basically all men. You know, they were calling her crazy. They called her abrasive, which any woman I feel like that is not immediately bubbly and "Ah," it's like, oh, God,
1: she's a bitch. Like, I don't. Absolutely. She, yeah. yeah. No, I totally agree.
0: And she just fucking reached a breaking point. And I mean, I'm not condoning what she did at all. It's devastating. And it's horrible. But that's what she felt she needed to do. do have,
1: I mean, people do have a breaking point. People yeah. who don't have any undiagnosed mental disorders or any mental disorders, people still have a breaking point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just so, feel yeah. like the the history is what makes me go, man, you know, maybe if her family had been less concerned with avoiding consequences,
2: mm-hmm.
1: they could have done something to help her at that point rather than, you know, protect her. Yeah. So, um, that's wild. I had no idea about all that. Like I said, I remember the headline like that, you know, mm-hmm. basically, a. what I remember from it was basically like, Professor doesn't receive tenure. Shoots everyone in the room.
0: Yeah, but they don't ever go in depth
1: about like about her history. Mm-hmm. I don't remember hearing anything about that.
0: Um. Yeah. So that was Sorry. Uh, I know it was wild. I was. I just really was bummed because I really wanted to talk about the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> but this was still a good case. Um. And we got our true crime in. We did, and
1: we managed to do a solved and an unsolved. So there oh. wasn't, we didn't like leave everybody like just a total like, sorry. <laughs> <There's> <laughs> no resolution here at all.
0: <laughs> that's true. Oh, that's a, that's it's a, very good, true. it's a good blend. I like it. We went an hour and a half, but yours was an hour. It was so long. It I was, know, but I'm it sorry. was so in depth and it was so
1: good and so so like very in detailed. Detail. Like I said, I was so anxious about, doing that one because like i said i mean i know people who know people that were here yeah. that were you know in that circle so yeah. that's the best i do her justice and yeah, i
0: think you did thank you so much for the continued support please find and follow us at wild and woke pod on instagram and twitter we have a great page on facebook at facebook.com slash wild and podcast If you're looking for bonus content, early episode releases, and free merch, find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast. If you have any weird, creepy, or wow, I can't believe this fucking happened moments, please reach out because we want to hear them at podcast at gmail.com.
1: And remember, all stories start somewhere. Be wild, stay woke, and question everything.